Friends, we'll turn to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. We'll read from verse 16 through to verse 5 of chapter 4. Before we read that portion of God's word, friends, let us pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that your word is given by inspiration. We've been seeing that over the past few weeks. That all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we know your word is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for Trans, uh, transformation. We know tonight, uh, as we'll see, it's sufficient for proclamation. We pray, our Lord, that you would make your word to dwell in our hearts richly, that you would um, transform our lives as the Holy Spirit works within us to hear and to understand the word, to apply that word to our hearts, and then to mould our hearts and lives uh, into the very will of God. We ask your help and blessing to this end as we hear your word read and we would uh, seek to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, verse 16, friends, of Second Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, and your afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen. Thursday evening, June the 10th, 1886. At the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Newington, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a sermon from uh, Mark 16, verse 20, titled Christ and His Co-Workers. Here's a quote from the sermon. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, It is because the gospel itself is not being preached or proclaimed. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they should defend a lion. There he is in his cage. And here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them if they would not object and it wouldn't be too humbling for them, that they should kindly stand back open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him. 
he would take care of himself. So the best apology for the gospel, the best defense for the gospel, is simply to let the gospel out. Proclaim it. It's sufficient for proclamation. Spurgeon goes on to say, never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Uh, remember, he's writing at a time during the German higher critical movement, the likes of Wellhausen and Gaff and all that with the JEPD uh, nonsense, the, uh, you know, the composition of the Hectitude. Um, John will tell you about all that stuff later. But um, Spurgeon says, never worry about all of that. He says, you just preach, you just proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will soon drive away all of his adversaries. Well, beloved, as we move from chapter 3 into chapter 4, Paul has moved from exhorting Timothy to live by the book to charging Timothy to preach or to proclaim the book. Because this book, as I say, is sufficient for proclamation. Now notice the connection between what Paul says the scriptures are. And this particular exhortation as to what Timothy is to do with those scriptures. Since the scriptures are not the opinions of men. Since they are not the pious reflections of sincere saints on who God is. And what he might want us to do. Since they are, in fact, God's word to us, since they are the only authoritative and final rule of faith and practice, Timothy is supposed to not only live by these words, but he's also to preach these words. He's to preach this message that is found in this marvelous book. And so the exhortation moving from uh, 2 Timothy 3 into 2 Timothy 4 is live by the book. Proclaim the book. Now obviously, beloved, in the context, these exhortations in verses 1 through 5 are given to a young preacher in Ephesus. And by extension to all faithful preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, and listen up, When exhortations are given to uh, preachers in the scripture, there are numerous practical applications for every Christian. And I want you to see some of them as we work our way through uh, three parts of this uh, passage this evening. The first part in Paul's words uh, concerns the gravity of the charge he's going to give young Timothy. You'll see that in verse 1. And then secondly, the content of that charge. You'll see that in verse 2. And then thirdly, the context of that charge in verses 3 through 5. In verse 1, Paul is about to give a charge to young Timothy. I charge you, therefore... Now, when we hear the word charge, maybe the first word that pops into your mind is to rush forward in an assault or an attack, like the charge of the light brigade. 
or someone coming rushing, barging, charging into a room. That might be the first idea that pops into your your mind. Or uh, when you talk about charge, maybe you're thinking um, the price of a hotel room. Our standard charge is £80. Breakfast not included. And perhaps you think of it in a legal sense. You know, the accused appeared in court on a charge off. However, that is not the word that Paul uses here. It's used in the sense of an address. Okay, for example, the chancellor of the university or a dean or a visiting speaker would charge, would address an audience of soon-to-be graduates as to what they are to do with their life. The speaker may call upon those graduates with their own special abilities and their resources not to think about serving themselves, but rather after X amount of years of study, but to serve their nation and to serve their community, to use the gifts that they have been given for the benefit of others. Well, the Apostle Paul is giving a charge to Timothy, but before he gives that charge, before he calls Timothy to do this very important mission, he wants to impress upon Timothy how serious this is. You see, friends, there is a difference between an address and a charge. We, we live in a day when everything is light, you know, the, the address will be given by. Uh, whereas in a previous generation, it would have been a charge is being given by. You see, there's a certain weariness, certain gravitas about, uh, about a charge. And so the Apostle Paul is wanting to impress upon Timothy how serious a charge it is that he's going to give him. And notice how he does it in verse 1. He's administering an oath here. It's, um, it's almost like Paul is taking Timothy into the divine courtroom, if you like. And he's swearing him in as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he administers this oath to Timothy... He calls upon God to be witness. And he adds to his charge in order to stress its solemnity. uh, Five qualifying phrases. Now you'll see the first qualifying phrase in the opening of the first, uh, first one. Notice what it says. I charge you therefore. It's useful when you, you go around... Other translations, because the NASB, the North American Standard Bible, renders the opening of this verse, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. And when Timothy hears Paul say, Now, Timothy, I am about to give you a solemn charge. Can you imagine Timothy thinking, Paul, what on earth have you been doing up to this point? I I mean, what have you been 
doing? What have you been telling me in chapter 3? Is that not solemn? If that's not solemn, what you've gone through in chapter 3, I don't know what solemn is. And friends, we've gone through chapter 3. And it's not like Paul has been light and trivial in that third chapter. But as we move into chapter 4, it's like he's saying to him, Now, Timothy, I'm going to get really serious. Timothy, I'm going to get solemn. Did you think I was solemn when I was telling you what the word of God was? Did you think I was solemn when I was telling you to follow me in suffering? Did you think I was solemn when I was telling you about high false teachers are going to get into the church and harm the flock? Well, now, Timothy, I am really going to get solemn with you. And so he impresses on Timothy the significance of what he's going to say. Timothy, now I'm going to give you this solemn charge. But he doesn't stop there. Second, qualifying phrase. I charge you therefore before God. Timothy, the one who is the judge on the bench, isn't just some JP, isn't just some county court judge or high court judge. Timothy, the one who is up there on the judge's chair, is God, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the one who is watching me charge you. That is the one who is uh, watching you respond to my charge. Paul wants Timothy to be aware of that in everything that he does and what he does. Timothy is solemnly, Paul is solemnly impressing upon Timothy, you are doing this in the arena of God's presence. God is watching what you're doing. Third, qualifying phrase. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul calls on Timothy to swear allegiance to this particular task, to this duty. Under the watchful eyes, under the watchful gaze of his Redeemer. Timothy's job is to preach the word of salvation, which of course is uh, to preach, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save, came to redeem. And so Paul says, Timothy, what I'm about to charge you with, I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, your Redeemer, my Redeemer, he is watching And I deliver this charge, and as you respond to it, you remember that. But he doesn't stop there. He he gives a fourth uh, qualifying phrase. Who will judge the living and the dead. In other words, he says, Timothy, as I give you this charge and all of its solemnity, I want you to remember something about this Redeemer. He's not only your Savior, 
He is going to come and judge the living and the dead. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I don't want you to ever forget that. I don't want you to forget that the Lord Jesus Christ, under whose watchful gaze you are going to respond to this charge, he is coming again. And he will judge the living and the dead. And that means you. You will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Timothy, remember there is going to be a day when you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. You will give an account for how well you have served the flock. How faithfully you preached the word of God. Or how faithfully you followed this charge that I'm giving to you now. It's a very solemn occasion, isn't it? But Paul's still not finished. Here's the fifth, one more qualifying phrase. At his appearing and his kingdom. You know, you read the Gospels as you do. And the Pharisees were renowned, you know, for having people swear on things. You know, swear on the temple. Swear on the gold. Swear on the altar. You've heard people sometimes swearing on their mother's life or swearing on their mother's grave, trying to indicate the seriousness about which, uh, you know, they are uh, getting ready to make a a commitment. And here Paul says, I charge you by the appearing and the kingdom (laughs) of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's really encouraging Timothy here. I don't think this is something that's a downer in Timothy. He is actually encouraging Timothy. He is reminding Timothy of the great event that every Christian longs for. The day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Isn't that what we're longing for? The return again of the Savior. When every knee shall bow... And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And on that day, what what were we just singing in that third hymn? On that day, from earth's wide bounds and oceans farthest shore, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless hosts. And what are they singing? You know, they're singing... Praise to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What was it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we're singing as we look forward to this great day. That's what every Christian lives for. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I charge you by that hope. I charge you by that grand occasion that you long for. From the depths of your being. You know, the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal kingdom, which he will fully establish and in which we will uh, everlastingly uh, participate. You see, Paul is pressing home, isn't he? The solemnity of what he's about to charge Timothy with. He is reminding Timothy of the importance of this task that he's going to charge him to do because Preachers, like everyone else, will give an account to the Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, 
the one who is watching you when you respond to this charge, won't be me. Won't be your congregation. It'll be God. It'll be God, the maker of heaven and earth. It'll be Jesus Christ, your redeemer, the coming judge and king. Timothy, this is so solemn. What I'm calling you to do. Do you see the gravity of the charge? Well, secondly, he tells him the content of the charge. Verse 2, he says, Timothy, you keep on proclaiming God's message of truth because what God has given us is sufficient. We don't need any add-ons. This is sufficient. So preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You convince, you rebuke, you exhort with all long suffering or patience and teaching. He's telling Timothy what is his prime calling. The minister's task, the pastor's task is to be a herald of God's word. To publicly proclaim God's message. To herald a divinely authorized message from God to people. Now notice what he's to do. Verse 2, he says, preach, be ready, convince, rebuke, exhort, or admonish. Now each word of counsel is pointing to that one central charge, which is <coughs> proclaim the word. Timothy, above everything else, to publicly proclaim the divinely authorized message God's message to men and women. You're to be ready to do that in season and out of season. In other words, whether it's popular or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's welcome or not, you are to be ready to proclaim this life-giving message in season, out of season. He's not only to proclaim Uh, What the word positively teaches, he is to reprove and rebuke. That is, he is to warn the people of God against their sins and against the errors of this world. He is to preach to the conscience and he is to aim for conviction with a view to repentance. He is to remind us of the consequences of sin. And not, uh, you know, tone things down a bit in case people get offended. You know, it's easy to teach um, what is right without ever saying what's wrong. We teach, as I said a few weeks ago, we teach by the negative as well as by the positive. And people need to know the difference. And they need to learn how to discern the difference. And that means being both positive and negative in the proclamation. And then he goes on to say you're to exhort or you're to admonish them. Uh, We need to be warned of all the wrong things. We need to be encouraged, of course, in the right things. Now, you may be saying that's all, you know, fine and dandy, Billy. But the exhortation... You know, uh, that you've been given, what, for the past 20 minutes, that exhortation does not have anything to do with me. Because uh, I'm not a preacher. And really, it's all totally irrelevant 
And friends, don't be thinking like that because this does have something to say to you. Okay, firstly, if Paul is telling Timothy what he must do for the people of God to be a faithful minister, then you as the people of God must need what Paul tells Timothy that he must do. In other words, if Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, in order for you to be a faithful minister, you must preach the word which is sufficient for proclamation, then it must be it must mean that the people of God need to hear this word that is preached. And if it's the word he must preach and nothing else, because there's no add-ons to this, that word has to be sufficient. It's sufficient for proclamation. And secondly, how it applies to yourselves. Now, as I go through these few things, you might say, Billy, you're repeating yourself there. Um, because it seems so similar, but actually read it, listen to it again later, and there's little nuances, okay, with each one. But uh, when we come to a passage like this, where Paul tells Timothy and all faithful preachers, preach the word, then we ought to be praying something like this. Lord, if you're telling a preacher what you want him to tell me, then you are also telling me what I need to hear. So, Lord, grant that I would not only listen to what I need to hear, I would not simply want to hear what tickles my my ears, but that you would give the preacher the grace to say what you have given him to say. Paul is telling Timothy what the people of God need. And if this is what the people of God need, then, friends, don't we need to be praying that God will cause our hearts to want to hear what we need? And, of course, what Paul is telling Timothy here is to preach the word of God, to preach the message of God, to preach the scriptural message. So, as a congregation who sit under the ministry of the word, The response to this exhortation is to know what you need. And what you need is the word of God. Now, you know that. You've been brought up knowing that in the church. So it's like telling your granny how to suck eggs, isn't it? But we need to be reminded of it, don't we? You need the word of God. You know, there are... Why do you need to be reminded? Because, beloved, there are all sorts of churches in this country, in this locality, where once upon a time you could have heard the word of God preached and preached faithfully. But you don't hear it preached faithfully anymore. You'll find a little sermonette on morals. You can find some happy, happy deliverance about this or that. But beloved, there is a famine of the word of God in this nation. And we need the word. Third way this applies to us and not just the preacher has to do with wanting. Wanting what we need in the preaching. We live in a society that doesn't like hard thinking. And it certainly doesn't like self-examination in the sphere of sin. 
But when we come to a passage and see God saying to a preacher, you know, preacher, you preach the word. And as I say, we need to pray, Lord, if that's what I need, and you say it in your word, then you make me want it. And you make me graciously receive it. And if it's a hard word, help me to act upon it. And not to get all ratty over it. If you're speaking to me through this word and you're highlighting something in my life that needs to be sorted out, then, Lord, you make me want it. You cultivate, dear God, a desire for what I need, not for what I think I need or what I would like to hear. Cultivate in me a desire for what I really need, not what I superficially want. Lord, make me long to sit under the ministry of your word. And if that little chapel was open seven nights a week, then you put the longing within my heart to be there seven nights a week, to sit under the ministry of your word because I need this word. And so you need to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously, to, uh, to keep on being faithful. Pray for other uh, gospel ministers that they would be faithful, that they won't simply give the people what they want. It's a great temptation, isn't it? Just give the uh, congregation what they want, but they uh, pray that gospel ministers will give the congregations what they need. We need to be praying for faithful preachers and that God would raise up faithful preachers of the word. There's no greater curse than a famine of the word of God. It's not right. And if you look around the evangelical world today, I say you can find plenty of sermons that are filled with, with jokes and little stories or practical lessons that are uh, disattached from the truth of God and from the word of God. But you're hearing less and less, less and less of the meat of the word of of God. And it's absolutely frightening. You know, there's no greater curse, as I say, than a famine of the word. And so we need to be praying for faithful gospel ministers who will preach the word of God. And then the Apostle Paul, very quickly, verses 3 through 5, and we'll meet around the table. He says one last thing. He gives the context of the charge to Timothy. He gives a a pastoral context for it and explains its urgency. He says, Timothy, you need to keep on preaching God's message. You need to keep on preaching God's truth because a time is coming when people will prefer myths to truth. Paul is giving a reason why it's so urgent for Timothy to be diligent in this work. Because there's going to come a time, and we're probably in that time at the moment, when they won't want to listen. Uh, And there's going to come a time when uh, they're going to prefer uh, messengers of their own liking as opposed to God's men. They're going to prefer messages to their own liking as opposed to God's word. And so, Timothy, it's urgent that you preach now, and that you preach the word in season 
out of season. You see, the task of preaching God's message from God's word is to be so urgent because of the imminent spiritual dangers to the, to the flock of God. They're going to come a time when they're going to want, uh, you know, their desire will be uh, to have their, their ears tickled. You know, they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers in verse 3 that will give them what they want. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth. It's not that they will run to the truth, that they will run away from the truth and be turned aside to fairy tales, turned aside to fables. But Timothy, you be watchful. You be watchful, verse 5, in all things. If you proclaim God's word faithfully, you will endure afflictions. You will get a hard time. So Timothy, don't be afraid to do the work of the evangelist. You faithfully, solemnly fulfill your ministry. And again, friends, we can look around us today and we can see those dangers that Paul highlights here to Timothy. We can see them everywhere. Worship services where the word of God is never, ever read. Worship services where the word of God may be read. And then the message has absolutely nothing to do with the word that has been read. Worship services which actually lead the flock astray with false teachings. Congregations where once the gospel was clearly proclaimed. And today it's completely lost. The imminent spiritual dangers of which Paul warns Timothy are around us today, beloved. Around us everywhere to be seen. And therefore, my friends, this passage is not just a passage that's relevant to preachers. Of course it is, but it's relevant to yourselves. Relevant to members of this congregation who sit under the ministry of the word week by week. That we would pray. Pray for whoever is coming up the steps of this pulpit. That God would give him a word from himself Amen. for the congregation. Amen. That we would long for that word. That we would come as we drive to this place or walk to this place. We would come hungering for the word of God. And as we said before, anticipating God to meet with us. And we long that God would work in our midst is not right. We long that God would work in our midst to the extent that we would see that indeed this world is, word is sufficient for sal uh, salvation. And we would see souls saved. And the baptistry opened on a regular basis. That we would see that it's sufficient for transformation, that those who have come to faith in Christ, their lives are transformed. That we would grasp the fact that this is, this is sufficient for proclamation. And that God would grant us the grace to faithfully proclaim it through our lives, through our conversations, all to the glory of Christ. Amen.